Whatever it is you want to do in life, you'll be able to do. It's always you versus you. That it doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, you can achieve anything that you set your mind to. Spend the rest of your natural life waking up and going after it. This is my purpose, and you will not stop me. You are listening to Mojo Sports. Mojo Sports fans, um, and welcome to the In Focus show. So I'm one of your hosts, Nishika, um, and the show takes a little bit more of a deep dive into the lives, the history, the background, and the aspiration of our guests. So we talk a little bit beyond um, their love and pursuit of, in, of their sporting habits. So in some of our episodes this season, we'll use this forum to reveal a little bit more of our, um, about our fellow Mojo Sports panellists, so our listeners will get to hear about the voices on our other shows, but today we'll be introducing one of the panellists on this show. So our guest today is Lainey, she's a fellow panellist on the In Focus show, and we get to learn a little bit more about her today. So I'm super excited to be interviewing you, Um, it's honestly such a pleasure. How are you feeling today? Uh, Thanks Nishka, thank you for the introduction and the opportunity yeah, I'm feeling pretty good. It's been a good week. The weather's fined up here in Sydney. So um, after a lot of the rain that we've had, and I think it's just nice to know that as we go into cool attempts, at least we're going to have sunshine <laughs> ahead. Exactly. No, that sounds great. Um, so how are you feeling about the interview? Are you excited to get into it? Uh, this will probably be my first interview um, in this particular area. I am excited. Um I'm excited to uh, sort of be put through my paces as well to sort of help um, put out there to everyone as to why I'm part of Mojo Sports and um, also to put across why I'm especially excited to be part of the In Focus show too. I love that. No, that's so exciting. All right, so let's get right into it then. So tell us a little bit about your sports background, about why sport is such an important part of your life and how that came to be. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> um, so I grew up in a family which um, had a few uh, athletes. Um, I, I guess you could count myself one of them, but I never went to anything that was, um, you know, Olympic level, but my sister did. So I had an older sister um, who was an Olympian. She ended up uh, representing Samoa in the javelin um, some years back. And um, I think because she was in athletics, my older brother was in athletics, I was in athletics and then my younger brother was in athletics. So there were a lot of uh, weekends and uh, evenings sort of spent down at the track. So we went to a club in Auckland. So I grew up in New Zealand and um, it was the Oiraka Athletics Club. And we all just, it just kind of became our backyard really for everything. Um, And I think naturally because it was better than getting into trouble as uh, parents don't want you to do and hang out with the wrong people, um, we were encouraged to get into it. And um, because my sister was, um, you know, we Pacific Island women and and men have strong legs and big upper body strength, so it was no surprise that my sister did quite well in the javelin and uh, my little brother did very well in the discus. And um, I was a bit of a smaller framed person, so uh, I thought I could be everything, but I'm definitely not a sprinter. So I I did a bit of long distance running, got into the shot put, the discus and the javelin because I was at every single one of my sister's training sessions. So it just kind of made sense that I would do the javelin too. Um, But yes, um, I guess 
the way I really got involved in it is because I love it. My family love to watch rugby, love to watch rugby league, love to watch the Olympics. Um, so it just kind of became a part of our way of life, the way our family sort of came together and sat and uh, watched achievements, um, you know, why not sport? It's so competitive, but it's also a testament to, you know, dedication and commitment from a lot of people who've put in the hours and the time in order to, um, you know, get to where they are. And they sort of became heroes to us. I think growing up, uh, we had a few sort of Samoan sports heroes that we came to admire who became sort of role models for us um, um, doing well in sports. I think really it was rugby. Like we had Brian Williams um, who played for uh, the All Blacks. And then I think you also had Michael Jones also playing for the All Blacks. And then as time sort of went on, you know, you start to notice a lot of uh, females, um, you know, some more females who really started to make their mark in sports. And I think most notably in athletics growing up, Beatrice Falmuina, who was a world champion and gold medalist, Commonwealth Games medalist, you know, such a hero. Like she was perhaps, I think, like a few years ahead of me in high school, but you know, from a young age, she just had that talent. And, um, you know, also knowing that she was Samoan too, it was great because us growing up, like, oh, yeah, you know, the making a difference in the in the sport. And she, there was just no one near her as well in terms of performance. Like there was just clear daylight between her and, you know, the, the next ranked person. But she always had a smile on her face. She encouraged people to get into the game and um, like into the sport and um yeah I, I think that also paved the way for people like Valerie Adams as well who was another New Zealand thrower who also did very well um you know um in the discus so yeah um and also <laughs> um <laughs> like naturally I think as I got older um I realized I didn't have the talent to be anything spectacular but it never really stopped me from getting involved in it so I was always involved in um volunteering lots of volunteering for fun runs got into running got into triathlons so the swimming and the cycling and you know I think there's that little part of me that thinks you know we Samoans this isn't our thing but uh let's give it a go be something different um and yeah so I kind of became the the hardcore amateur nothing <laughs> that like you know definitely an enthusiastic participant in most sports so there's touch football there's touch rugby league um you name it I've probably um, been in and around it you know after high school as well and after club athletics uh, I've been in and around it and um recently as well I realized you know what I'm not too old to get into this passion because I've been organizing and doing all sorts for sport and teams and associations and clubs for a long time. I just never got paid for it. <laughs> it was always because I loved it. It was a passion. And I thought to myself, you know what? It's not too late for me to have a crack at it. And uh, I love the fact that Mojo has given me an opportunity and a platform to see what I can do to help, you know, increase visibility um, for, you know, women, just sports, um, Pacific Islanders, um, and help sort of become an advocate and a champion for uh, all of their achievements too. That sounds amazing. Um, I honestly understand. But the enthusiasm and the love for sport, like it's just something that you can't really, I don't, I don't think it fades, right? No, never. Exactly. Never. I mean, look, 
I'm not young anymore, Nishka. So, uh, I mean, like on the weekend, I was volunteering at the uh, New South Wales Athletics event here in Sydney. And um, I remember all the times when I was, you know, a participant in athletics back in New Zealand. And I thought to myself, uh, I never really paid attention to the great job that officials and volunteers do uh, in order to help a lot of these events, um, you know, work out well and, you know, be seamless. So I uh, signed up to uh, do a little bit more and I've been on the side, been trying to get my accreditation to be able to be an official. So it was great news, actually, to have them reach out to me over the week and say that they're going to put me in the pathway um, to be a technical official for the Commonwealth Games and the Olympics coming up um, here in Australia. So, I mean, like, I, I might not be out there throwing the discus or the javelin, but I'm going to be involved somewhere if I can. No, exactly. Like, the, everyone doesn't really get to hear how technical officials um, and those sorts of people play the roles behind the scenes because they run the show at the end of the day. Um, so tell us a little bit more about that sort of side of things because I feel like not many people know about it. Uh, the volunteering stuff, I think, look, I think because I had done so many, um, you know, events as a participant, you know, it's sometimes easy to forget that these things happen because you've got people who are just giving their time for nothing. Um, to turn up early, really, really early <laughs> to set up the course, make sure you've got water hydration. Um, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a lot of effort in the background, but I mean, look, I, I'm probably not at racing, um, fit anymore, but you know, I, this is my way of giving back. So for some time I've been uh, volunteering at, you know, several different, um, you know, organizations and charities around you know, around Sydney, where I am, um, but also when I was in Brisbane. And, you know, it's it's a small bit of input that you put that, you know, you're contributing. It's a few hours, um, but it's hours that matter for the participants. Um, so, like, I often tend to reach out to the organisations directly or I'll volunteer through their online, um, like, sort of portal. Um, also, do you... Every volunteer knows every other volunteer after a while. It's a bit like, um, you know, there's a business of it. <laughs> you see the same faces, you see the same people. And it's like, oh, yeah, I remember you. Didn't I run into you at the Oxfam 100? Or, you know, it's like, weren't you with me on the um, 35K bloody long walk? So, I mean, there's there's several. Um, and, I mean, not just for organisations that I really care about, but um, certainly for um a lot of organisations that don't necessarily get the attention of the volunteers. Uh, I mean, like there are certainly some afflictions um, and diseases that, you know, they have huge marketing teams um, and, um, you know, a lot of even celebrities who are able to uh, promote and, um, you know, get a lot of volunteers in because of, because of the size of the, um, of the uh, organisation. But there are, there are. I mean, it's hard to pick, obviously, uh, which one that you're going to uh, volunteer for. But I mean, they still need support. They still need hands, and they still need help. So yeah, I mean, it'd be a weekend of six hours standing in the sun somewhere handing out water, or it could be um, down at a sports club helping them putting up signage um, on game day. You know, let's just help out wherever you can because, um, especially in sports, for anyone who's looking to you know, commence a career, 
there are a lot of free hours you're going to have to do in order to build up your network. Um, but also these organisations really do appreciate, um, you know, any kind of support they can get because they often don't get a lot of big budgets in order to get in and hire the help um, to uh, get these things off the ground because they do rely a lot on donations or they'll rely on really just goodwill um, in order to really keep the doors open and the wheels turning. No, that sounds amazing. Honestly, the work and like effort and time that goes into officiating and setting up and working behind the scenes, it's crazy. Um, but how have you found that in comparison to being a participant? Like, have you enjoyed both equally or has it been very, very different experiences? Um, on the officiating side of things, like refereeing for uh, touch football games, um, I can tell you that when you're a participant, it's easy to get really caught up in the passion of the game or, um, I mean, even as a fan when you're spectating as well on the sidelines, whenever you watch anything, you're thinking, oh, ref, you got that wrong or why are we going to the bunker again? You know, there's always a lot of instant feedback about a decision that's being made in the moment based on the rules of the game. You know, you're trying to be impartial, you're trying to be fair and you're also trying to also uphold and represent you know the code of of the game, and you know as an official, um, and you you will often get um, a few participants who are uh, a little bit mouthy um, with their opinion, which is fine. But um, I mean, we're not paid a lot <laughs> to go out there and and give up an entire evening of uh, refereeing, you know, five or six games, um, and. You know, there is a certain amount of professionalism we have to maintain as well. And I think, like, just the courtesy um, from a participant is forgotten. So, I mean, like, as a participant, yeah, it's great that you even have people to show up to officiate, you know, events. Because without them, you wouldn't have a game to play, which is great. And you wouldn't have facilities all taken care of um, and ready for you to, um, you know, take the field. But, um, but I mean, <laughs> as a participant... After being a ref, yeah, I've learned, you know, you've got to respect their decisions. You've got to be much more respectful of them. They do this because they love it, not just because they get paid. And if you are a rowdy player or you're just rude and the rest of your team looks at you um, being this way and think that you're the example that they can do that too, I mean, that's how you lose officials. But also it's not hard to be respectful to just people. Um, I think the biggest difference is, um, yeah, you have to understand what respect is um, to play the game. Don't get ugly. Um, but also understand that um, officials are there simply doing their job to make sure that you can continue playing. So just appreciate that. Exactly. The role that officials have is definitely underappreciated, especially by like players of the game or people involved in the sport because they don't know what goes into it at the end of the day. But at least you're highlighting that now. It's a really important part of it. So I'm really glad that we get to understand that. Um, so yeah. obviously officiating is very different to being a part of the sport or even volunteering. So how do you find those pathways? How did they come to you or did you discover them just through being a part of sports and growing up in that sort of dynamic? Yeah, actually, good question. So um, like... I think it was one particular fun run. Um, I was feeling a bit sick a couple of days before and I'd registered. 
Um, but I'd already cleared my <laughs> my day anyway with family and friends um, because I was potentially thinking, oh yeah, I'll be racing this day. I won't be able to um, see any of you. But yeah, not feeling well beforehand. I, I thought I don't want to I don't want to chance it on the race and affect my time because you know obviously I'm a competitive person. Um, so then I reached out to, I think it was the Mata Hospital, and they were doing an International Women's Day fun run. And I said, um, look, I'm not I'm not going to be participating anymore, but do you need any volunteers on the day? And they said, oh, we'd love to have you. Just the gratefulness <laughs> of their voice when they said, oh, we'd love to have you. And I'm like, well, how many volunteers are you looking for? And they said, we've had so many people not turn up. Um, you know, if you know anyone else, because, I mean, Obviously, um, these events run according to how many people are able to, um, to um, you know, turn up and, you know, do course setup and things like that. So I said, yeah, I can probably bring along three friends. Um, and we did. And and then from that point onwards, you get on one mailing list. <laughs> um, and then they ask, oh, wait, can you help us out with another one and then another one? And then before you know it, you're on their list. They know you know, what your contribution is like. They know whether you're reliable, you turn up on time, you follow instructions. Um, and, you know, you sort of get this working um, group and you know what works and what doesn't work. Having having uh, done several um, of these um, sort of shifts. But the other thing you are better at, having been a participant versus a volunteer, is you know what a participant looks for at these events um so it's like you know we absolutely have to have a drinks table there we must have better signage those portaloos you know they're all little things um but um things like where you put the snacks table or the the fruit for when people come off it's like who where the metal's going to be you know how do you get the water here when you run out like all these like little logistics and things that you know you, you're quite conscious of uh, when you're setting up and you know when you are volunteering but you also become either the know-it-all <laughs> at these at these things um or you become the uh, the person who knows because you you know you just know you, you know what you're doing sort of thing and and so like once you get on that one list for an organization they the person who's run that particular event usually ends up running an event at another for another organization for another fun run for another race or whatever um and then they just sort of push your name through <laughs> they're like oh you've got to call this girl laney um get her on board or um it, you end up um sort of becoming the go-to volunteer but i think the great thing is they're always appreciative of whatever time that you can put in um they never ask too much of you but they if, if for some reason you've been doing one particular role for the last you know three events they'll ask you to do something a little bit more senior the next time because you know obviously you've got an understanding of how things are run in the flow um but i think what's important that um i like to do is i like to ensure that i'm trying to get other volunteers involved oh yeah so it's not so it's not just you know the same people turning up it's getting that encouragement promoting um you know spreading the message and getting them to understand what's involved um, and also um, I found that the Office of Sport I think it's Australia Sport they have a lot of free online courses for people who want to do coaching um, and sport for team sports also want to take up officiating also if they want to um, if they have particular sports um, that they want to be 
you know, an official for. Um, like athletics, for instance, they do have an online portal in which you can undertake the training. And that's a really great pathway if you want to, you know, yourself end up being a 2026 Commonwealth Games, you know, official or even, um, you know, well ahead for 2032. I mean, again, it's like, I know it, it sounds as though um, it's kind of like that, uh, those who can't teach do. Well, I'm like I think it would be those who can't do volunteer, <laughs> but you know that's a way of staying part of um, you know the sport that you love, um, giving back. Um, you, and you might not necessarily be doing all the hours and the diet and the exercise to um, you know be front and center, but you know athletes and participants. You know, they notice, they notice the contribution of volunteers. Even if, even if you're just a course marshal and, you know, you just happen to be applauding someone running up, um, yeah, that encouragement can make a difference to a participant continuing and just uh, feeling like they're getting that support. It's just enough to keep them going for that extra K or two. Exactly. No, that's so important. Um, and you, I don't think everyone realizes the amount of opportunities that you can get to either feed into the sport or feed out of the sport. There are so many different um, available resources, that sort of thing, and avenues. Like, I feel like a lot of people just wouldn't consider these as an option. So knowing about them and you advocating for them is so important. Um, but how have you found that with um, family expectations? So how has officiating kind of found itself in your life in regards to how it's perceived by family members, friends, that sort of thing? Because it's an active part of the sport, but it's not very heard of, if that makes sense. So how is that? Yeah. Um, look, I think my mother would be grateful that, I'm not doing anything that's going to cause me injury. Uh, and um, I think the rest of my family too. So I'm not young anymore. So I know what, you know, my physical limitations are. I, I think gone are the days in which I thought, uh, you know, oh, yeah, I can just, uh, I can just you know, do a do a race here and do a race there. And I think probably my last big event, um, which, you know, it took a little bit of convincing for my family to, um, to understand the reason why I was doing it. But um, I ran the New York Marathon, um, I think it was like 2015, and there was a lot of fundraising, so much fundraising <laughs> involved, and fundraising that I had to actually do myself because I was running myself. But I was part of a charity team um, in the States because in order to participate, you have to have done – several runs um, for a club in the US to get your times registered before you actually have a spot that's assigned. Um, but if you want a guaranteed spot in the marathon, um, you actually have to run for a charity. But even if you do run for a charity, there's a minimum um, <laughs> amount of money that you have to raise for the charity um, as part of it, which is fine. Um, at the time, I put in so much training, so much training um, for this run. So, I mean, it's for those of you who don't know a marathon, and I'm sorry if I'm going on about this, but um, <laughs> 42 kilometres is a is a quite a large distance to train for. Mm -hmm. um, 
and it was probably the furthest distance I've ever run in my life. Um, in order to train, usually for um, for a run, they say that you should try and run um, as part of your training 80% of the distance um, as you're just sort of like increasing your distance. Again, I had never gotten close to the 42. I think the most I had ever um, gotten to in my training was um, 31 Ks. And like I noticed <laughs> during the run after the 31st K, how much I was starting to slow down. And, um, you know, a lot of those types of, um, <laughs> a lot of those types of, you know, things that sort of enter your head as you're, as you're running. Um, you know, there's all sorts of, um, like the, the internal monologue really kicks in. Uh, I'm sure this happens to a lot of people, but I remember in, in the lead up before I had gone to the States, my mother said to me, why are you doing this? <laughs> you know, well, is, there is no reason in your life you would need to run 42 kilometers. Why are you training for this? You know, how is this important? You know, all of, all of the things that um, a parent or any family member would be questioning usually about your sanity. Um, and I said, and I said, this is a bucket list item of mine that I wanted to get off my list. Also, I'm doing this for an organization um, that is um, improving studies on um, diabetes. And, you know, my father um, had diabetes. So to me, this was quite a personal um, thing as well. And, and once I was able to dash all of these questions that they had, you know, about my motivation and, you know, is this good for my body? Um, they came around. They came around. And I think um, it wasn't until I did that that they understood why I'd always been in and out of sport, why I'm always volunteering. And they said, you obviously do it because you love it. Mm -hmm. We're not going to change your mind. So just do it well and, you know, and do it without, you know, overexerting yourself. Don't hurt yourself. Don't, you know, don't hurt anyone else. And, um and yeah, that would that would probably be the way to balance that. Their expectation is that obviously I do everything um, with passion, with commitment, and with honesty, and that's all they want. Um, but if it ever interferes with a wedding, <laughs> a birthday, <laughs> um, obviously it's <laughs> they'll they'll be asked to question my priorities. <laughs> of course, no, but it's really good to have the support behind you and do you find that that's one of the biggest things that you found through sport um that's or even your involvement in sport that that family support behind you is so empowering to an extent yeah I mean there's my family and there's my husband and um, my husband's been honestly the most supportive um like he gets it he I think for a while there um he was like so what are you, why are you doing this again? Because I want to see what the limits of my body are. I want to see whether I can. I don't want to ever, you know, get through life and look back and think, I wonder if I ever could have. Like I want to actually try and yeah. when I know, I know. Um, and also I've got a niece and a nephew and they have so many questions, so many questions about things, very um, inquisitive minds. And it's kind of nice sometimes when, um, you know, they say, oh, auntie, have you done this before? Or do you know where that is? Or do you know how far that is? Or even if they ask, what's the furthest distance you've run? <laughs> you know, because like their dad will say, oh, yeah, your auntie used to run a bit. 
and like when they found out they're like oh what's the further furthest you've run and I said 42ks and they're like 42ks <laughs> and and like they get really excited and of course you know you tell them and then they suddenly keep telling everyone and then the siblings they're like can you just can you stop telling them, them about <laughs> all of the stuff that you've done but um no I, I look it's it's about um having good support behind you uh, I think you're right that you know if you don't have that you're not going to try um and there'll always be like bad days ugly days if you're training or you know in your pursuit or you're questioning yourself or you know I think you know if you just have that one person um in your corner just saying I believe in you or I believe that you have the strength to do it it just that's enough to really just push you along um and yeah I've often <laughs> I've often thought about you know all the things that I would have talked myself out of if I didn't have that person there you know like my husband to just say I don't know why you're thinking so much about it just having a little pity party move on you can do it <laughs> you know so and like I need that and I think a lot of people can get really stuck in their head sometimes about what they can't do um, and don't have enough people telling them what they can do of course no it's yeah definitely such an integral part of either being in the sport or having a passion for sport it's that resilience mindset along with that support system it's such it's so important um so along the lines of like aspirations challenges and inspirations have you found that um completing races like that for example that 42 kilometer run um was that one of your biggest achievements you'd say yeah I definitely say that was I mean it was about gosh I think I, I so that was the first marathon I've ever run and the last one I've ever run um <laughs> and and someone said to me well why does it have to be New York marathon I'm like well why not go big go hard you know <laughs> um yeah it was a it was a lot of training to get there um but there's a lot of fundraising and diet and finding running partners and committing to the schedule and I think at that uh, for some of that time my husband and I so he had taken a job down in Sydney and so I was up in Brisbane so for like a good like six to seven months he was um working in Sydney and I was up there on my own so I was training on my own I was doing my own diet um, and I was trying to deal with the fundraising and everything and promotion and all that sort of stuff. Um, it's, it's really hard to sort of stay motivated. Um, but yeah, I think the biggest achievement for me was continuing to do it without giving up. There was never a time that, um, you know, I sort of found myself crying in the shower going, why am I doing this? Because I was, you know, I was pretty determined and driven to see it through. Um, and I think, I think you need to sometimes find a goal sometimes. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, I would say that was my biggest achievement. I raised something like, oh, I think I had like five, five trivias. I had so many raffles. I even managed to get people to do, help me bake things for bake sales. Wow. You know, <laughs> like, um, just to help, um, raise funds for the, um, the Chicago Diabetes Project, who was, that was the group that I was running for and 
And then I <laughs> I was saving and saving and saving all my dollars for my airfare, um, for my registration for the race. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I think like, I'll look back and I just think that that particular year was a high achievement for so many reasons, you know, oh. mentally, physically, you know, and coming yeah. through for the charity. Of course. So um, with that in mind, what do you say was the biggest challenge then, since we've spoken about the biggest achievement, what would you say was your biggest challenge in either your sporting career or volunteering career or even just sport in general? Um, This might kind of seem a bit sideways, but I think my biggest challenge has been um, being a woman and being brown, actually. like there are a lot of moments where, I mean, I don't know how many Samoans you've ever heard of trying to do a triathlon, um, but, you know, you'd speak to some people telling them, you know, what you're doing, what you're working on. And I think the challenge was for me to not tell them to to be quiet when they came back at me with some real smart aleck responses. <laughs> it's like, what? You know? can all sorts of really offensive um I think they look I I think some people think they're joking but they're not joking um it's it's a way where they're kind of hurting you a little bit um by by sort of saying that you can't do it I think the challenge is me keeping a cool head when it comes to that type of judgment um and I, I don't know whether that's perhaps what's propelled me to be a little bit more determined and driven to prove them wrong. But I think there's a lot to be said about, um, you know, obviously you have stereotypical athletes, you know, I'm not saying I'm an athlete, but, you know, I'm a participant. Um, And I think they don't expect to see me sometimes in those, those groups or those, um, those areas. And so I guess, when they challenge me by asking that question, I find that um, it still tells me that there's a lot that needs to change um, out there in terms of like attitudes and mindset. Um, that would that would probably be it. It's that yeah. um, you know anyone can do anything. Of course, just because yeah, just because um, you don't look like the person who usually does it doesn't mean you can't do it. Next time on the In Focus show, we keep the questions rolling and bring to you part two of our interview. Multiculturalism, you know, in sport is great, but seeing um, it, you know, whether it be the fans or fans, here I am thinking that I'm an athlete, whether it be like just supporters, the public spectators, um, it's just so nice to see that, like the start line, the finish line along the course, it's, it's everyone. You have been listening to Mojo Sports. Thank you for your support. It is very much appreciated. The team and I are trying to build something a little different here, so everyone's support is very much appreciated. Continue to support the podcast, download, subscribe, check out our social media channels, give us a follow, and be sure to tell your friends about Australia's best-kept secret. This is Mojo Sports.